But yeah, welcome. Thank you for joining me. Let's read the Bible today on Saturday, which is the 13th, I believe. 13th of February, second day of Chinese New Year. Senior Kwila to you. Hope you had a good uh, celebration, good restful time at home safely so far. Um, let's begin with a prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that as we begin our journey with you, especially in your word and obedience to your will, we continue on uh, in faithfulness and by the power of your spirit. Help us, Lord, to take each step um, in obedience and just following your prompting. And especially now as we read your word, please speak to us, enable us to hear your voice, to recognize it instantly as yours, to long um, for your words to be speaking into our hearts, giving us direction, uh, reminding us of your character and your plan in the Lord Jesus Christ. And these four readings uh, help me to be as clear, as helpful as possible, help whoever is listening to be encouraged um, to carry on in this journey of faith and trust and dependence and repentance and submission to the Lord Jesus Christ until he returns and to long for that encounter with him. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' most precious and good and wonderful name. Amen. So hello again. If you've just joined us, this is the Daily Bible Reading Show. Today is February the 13th. So tomorrow is the 14th. Tomorrow is Valentine's Day. Yeah. Um, uh, but just before that, Happy New Year. Sini and Kwaila. Uh, we're going to start with Genesis chapter 46. So a bit unusual today. Usually I have like on screen, I'll have the words appearing. I'm just going to use my Bible today. I'm just trying to be as natural as possible. You know, if you're at home, you're in your pajamas, in your t-shirt, uh, you're having a coffee. I'm just going to have a bottle of water um, and you're just reading your Bible uh, yeah, as you would at home. Let's see Genesis chapter 46. By the way, this is the Proclamation Trust Bible, Proclamation Bible. That's what it says on the cover. I got this really cheap. I think it was like five quid or something uh, years ago when they were like clearing the stocks. And I think I bought like six copies. I gave them away to my friends. They're just such such a good, clear Bible and uh, with very short commentaries uh, at the beginning of each book written by very faithful Bible teachers. Um, so I really do appreciate this. Thank you so much, Proclamation Trust, uh, not sponsored in any way or form, but thank you for producing this. And if you haven't checked them out, if you haven't heard of them before, the Proclamation Trust is one of uh, the most helpful organizations, I think, in encouraging pastors to continue their own study of God's Word so that they can teach it well. And they have these courses, the Cornhill Training Course, they have these conferences. I think I saw a post this morning about a women's teaching morning. I think it might be happening today. Uh, but the big one to look out for every year is the EMA, the Evangelical Ministers Association Assembly Gathering of all the pastors in June, uh, where they just go through uh, for two or three days uh, live. Uh, it's going to be online this year, live in summer in June. And they're just going to go through passages in the Bible and they show how they get to those points that they make. I think last year was exceptional because, you know, because of COVID, they did it live and they tried to make it as engaging and interesting as possible. So they showed uh, on the screen what the pastor was looking at as he was teaching. And they were able to then, um, hi Raymond, by the way, hi, 
you know, nice to see you again. Um, yeah, let me wave to them. This brother of mine. Yeah, uh, they usually just show you how they get to the points in the passages. Uh, it's just so helpful, very natural. It makes you go, yeah, you know, maybe maybe I could do this as well. Anyway, look out for that. That's happening in June. Um, again, uh, I'm reading just four passages, kind of like what you would do at home, you know, just with your Bible. And here is Genesis chapter 46. So Israel set out with all that he that was his, and when he reached Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in a vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am, he replied. I am God, the God of your father, he said. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again, and Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. Then Jacob left Beersheba, and Israel's sons took their father Jacob and their children and their wives in the carts that Pharaoh had sent to transport him. So Jacob and all his offspring went to Egypt, taking with them their livestock and the possessions they had acquired in Canaan. Jacob brought with him to Egypt his sons and grandsons and his daughters and granddaughters, all his offspring. So everyone, the whole Jingo gang, went down with him to Egypt. These are the names of the sons of Israel, Jacob and his descendants who went to Egypt. And we get this list of names. Reuben, the firstborn of Jacob, the sons of Reuben, Hanok, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi, the sons of Simeon, Jemuel. I have a friend named Jemuel. I uh, wonder if he watches this, if you are. Hi. Uh, hi, Raymond. Hey, thanks for waving back. Yeah, how are you doing this morning? Actually, no, it's like, what time is it? It's like, is it five o'clock or something? Yeah, time for dinner. Oh, wow. I wish I could have dinner in Singapore. That'd be so good. Yeah, the Rojak, I can remember from years ago. Jamin, Ohad, Jakin, Zohar, and Shaul, the son of a Canaanite woman. The sons of Levi, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari, the sons of Judah. Ur, Onan, Shila, Perez, and Zerah. But Ur and Onan had died in the land of Canaan. The sons of Perez, Hezron, and Hamul. The sons of Issachar, Tola, Pua, Jeshub, and Shimron, the sons of Zebulun, Sered, Elon, and Jathiel. These were the sons Leah born to Jacob in Padan Aram, besides his daughter Dinah. These sons and daughters of his were 33 in all. The sons of Gad, Zephon, Haggai, Shuni, Esbon, Eri, Adonai, and Erelai. The sons of Asher, Imna, Ishva, Ishvai, and Beriah. Their sister was Sira, the sons of Beriah, Heber, and Malkiel. These were the sons born to Jacob by Zilpah, whom Laban had given to his daughter Leah, sixteen in all. The sons of Jacob's wife, Rachel, Joseph, and Benjamin, in Egypt, Manasseh, and Ephraim, were born to Joseph by Asenath, daughter of Potiphera, priest of On. The sons of Benjamin, Bela, Becker, uh, Ashbel, Gera, Naaman, Ehi, Rosh, Mupim, Hupim, and Ard. These were the sons of Rachel who were born to Jacob, 14 in all. The son of Dan, Hushim, the son of Naphtali, Jaziel, Guni, Jezer, and Shilam. These were the sons born to Jacob by Bilhah, whom Laban had given to his daughter Rachel, 7 in all. Oh, hi. Hello. Hi. Oh, hi, guys. Uh, I'm just doing the daily Bible reading. Uh, if you're watching this on Instagram, I don't usually do this on Instagram. So this audio isn't coming to Instagram. If you want to hear a good audio, you have to listen to this on YouTube. But um, yeah, thanks thanks for just popping by. Yeah, th this is just reading the Bible. Um, 
uh, yeah, at home, yeah, with with an actual Bible. <laughs> and this is Genesis 46, continuing on. Let me read verse 26 again. All those who went to Egypt with Jacob, those who were with his direct descendants, not counting his son's wives, numbered 66 persons with the two sons who had been born to Joseph in Egypt. The members of Jacob's family with when, which went to Egypt were 70 in all. There's some significance in that number, 70. Now Jacob sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to get directions to Goshen. <laughs> this was before Google Maps, I guess. Uh, when they arrived in the region of Goshen. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right, because Joseph told them to go to this particular place in Egypt and there was a big group of them. So there's a lot of logistics to be um, to plan for. Uh, Joseph had his chariot made ready and went to Goshen to meet his father Israel. As soon as Joseph appeared before him, he threw his arms around his father. So 22 years, he hasn't seen his dad. Threw his arms around him and wept for a long time. Israel said to Joseph, Now I'm ready to die, <laughs> since I have seen for myself that you are still alive. Then Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and speak to Pharaoh and will say to him, My brothers and my father's household who are living in the land of Canaan have come to me. The men are shepherds, they tend livestock, and they brought their flocks and herds and everything they, ha they own. When Pharaoh calls you in and asks, What is your occupation? You should answer, Your servants have tended livestock from our boyhood on, uh, just as our fathers did. Then you'll be allowed to settle in the region of Goshen, for all shepherds are detestable to the Egyptians. Interesting. Okay, so let's have a quick review as to what this chapter is about. Um, it begins with um, Israel. So Israel, hi Andy. Hi, thanks for joining me. Uh, yep, to say hi to Siong, to Ethan, and to Andy. Hey, how are you doing? Um, so uh, Israel is going to see his long-lost son, whom he thought was dead, uh, hasn't seen him for 22 years, but he makes a stop in the beginning. He goes to this place called Beersheba. You remember Beer means uh, well, and Sheba or Sheboa can either mean seven or oath. So this is a well of oath, and lots of pacts uh, were made there between uh, Isaac, between Abraham. So he goes there to pray to God. And uh, as he sacrifices the God in verse 1, God speaks to him, Jacob, Jacob, twice, meaning it's it's this uh, very urgent thing that God wants to say to him. And he says, here I am. And he reassures him that he should not be afraid, should not be hesitant to go down to Egypt. He says, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. I will make you into a great nation there in Egypt. And I will go down with you. And I will bring you back again. And Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. Maybe that's why he says, I'm ready to die. Because he knows that um, he'll finally see his son. And his son, whom he loves, will bury him. Uh, but why is it so important, this encounter with God? Well, if you remember, um, years ago, God gave the instruction not, not to go down to Egypt. And you see, even when there was a famine, you know, so there were warnings there. And maybe he knew about how um, his... Uh, granddad Abraham when he went down there was an encounter with Pharaoh and so things weren't always good whenever they left the land of Canaan so uh, here is God reassuring them that it's okay you know this is his plan all the while he will be with Jacob with Israel and he will bring him back and while he's there he'll make him into a great nation he'll bless him so he goes there with God's blessing 
And so essentially, he is just checking, I guess, you know, checking with God, is this okay? Is this your will? Even as he is so eager to see his son. And I think that shows, um, on the one hand, yes, his devotion, his faithfulness in walking with God, but also it shows that this whole context that we're looking at with Joseph, you know, he seems like the main character who is raised up now into to be prime minister of Egypt to save the people of Israel. Actually, the focus of these few chapters has always, always been on Israel. I wonder if you thought about that. You know, we tend to have these um, plays about Joseph, Joseph in the Technicolor dream code. Uh, we had a kid's summer camp, and again, Joseph was a main character. But actually, the focus of the last few chapters of Genesis is actually on Jacob, on God's promise to Jacob to bless him and to give him this nation and to bless his children. And even though Joseph kind of like has this limelight and he is almost like the firstborn. So that's that's the funny thing. Reuben is no longer the firstborn. You know, he's verse eight. He's listed first. Uh, but later on in that blessing, we see that the blessing has kind of like transferred to Judah. You know, Judah is now the descendant from whom will come the king. So Perez, the one his name means break out, receives this inheritance of kings. But actually, narratively speaking, it looks as if, hey, Joseph is the one who's the limelight. He is the one who receives all this blessing. But actually, no, it's neither of them. The main character in the last few chapters is actually the book in the it's actually the person of jacob and god's promises to him um uh, and we get this if we turn back uh, all the way it's quite a while away um uh, in chapter 37 and you know, where we get joseph's dreams that's the heading that i have in my bible for for chapter 37 but it actually says this is the account of jacob jacob's family and it ends with jacob's death and so this is god's promise to bless jacob and his receiving these promises through his sons, you know, through the faithfulness of Joseph. So the thing that he does is he leaves Beersheba, verse 5, and it says Israel took, uh, Israel's sons took their father Jacob and their children and their wives and their carts to Pharaoh, in the carts that Pharaoh you sent to transport him. So Jacob and all his offspring went to Egypt, and he gives us the whole list of everyone, uh, his wives and all the sons by his wives, his wives' maids and all the sons by his wives' maids, you know, it's through Leah and through Rachel, through um, Zilpah and through, is it, uh, do, 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 sorry, sorry, do, 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 Israel, here you go, sons Levi, sorry, I, I, I totally forgot uh, Leah's uh, maidservant's um, name. So let's see, Rachel and Zilpah, Zilpah, yep. So Zilpah, Le Leah's, Leah's uh, maidservant was Zilpah and the children that came through her and Bilhah and the, that was Rachel's maidservants. And so all the children plus their grandchildren, um, sorry, plus Jacob's grandchildren is supposedly 66 in total in verse 26. So all those who went to Egypt with Jacob, those who were his direct descendants, not counting his son's wives, numbered 66 persons. And then it says, verse 27, if you add up the two sons who've been born with Joseph, then the members of Jacob's family, which went out of Egypt, were 70 in all. So um, if you want to do a PhD on this, you can 
<laughs> tried to work out how did he they get to the number 70. Uh, it is uh, it's complex. You can write a whole PhD thesis on it. You know, spend four years writing it up, get this whole you know tome that you've written up, put it on your bookshelf, and say that's four years of my life. And lots of people have done that. Um, and you can read commentaries about this. But it's, there seems to be this vested interest in this number 70, this fullness of this family that goes down into, um, into Egypt uh, because of the famine. And so uh, verse 28, Jacob or Israel sends his son Judah. And so Judah now takes the lead in terms of he's almost like the family head. Uh, taken over from Reuben, the firstborn. And so he goes ahead to get directions. So this big congregation is coming. Where, how, are, how are they going to, where are they going to go? Where are they going to park their cars? You know, where are they going to live? Where are they going to get provisions for their camels, that kind of thing. And so he goes there to Goshen. And every verse is talks about Goshen. He goes to Goshen. Joseph himself goes to Goshen. And all of them go to Goshen. And then he meets his dad. Uh, Joseph get, has this reunion after 22 years, possibly 23, having not seen his dad all this while who thought he was dead. And his dad says, now I'm ready to die. <laughs> um, and yeah, there's this sweet, sweet reunion, this fulfillment of this promise that God would bless him and his sons and it's fulfilled in this reunion and save them from this famine. And then Joseph gives them the advice um, to say that they are shepherds. Verse 32, say the men are shepherds, they tend livestock. And in verse 34, you should answer, your servants have tended livestock from boy boyhood. We've been shepherds all our lives. And apparently there's this stigma that the Egyptians have against shepherds uh, that you know they don't they don't hang out with them you know they're the wrong kind of company they're seen as unclean or weird or whatever but this way they can continue on uh, living on their own i think uh, the concern here is that you know when joseph rose to prominence you know he was given a new name he was assimilated into the egyptian culture but this way they could be distinct they could remain on their own and carry on in a worship of their God, you know, in the way that God had instructed them and preserve their uh, culture, their ethnicity, their uh, worship of God. So yeah, that was just a quick overview of Genesis chapter 46 of uh, this whole nation. All these people are their sons being saved uh, through this plan of God uh, through Joseph. Yeah. So that's Genesis chapter 46. Uh, let's move on to Mark 16. By the way, these four passages, I'm getting them from BiblePlan.org. And this is the Robert Marie McShane Bible Reading Plan. It gives you four chapters uh, to read every day. Um, and what that does is gets you through the New Testament twice and the Old Testament once, and the Psalms twice. So we've been doing this. Um, actually, uh, I started 86, 87 days ago. So there are 86 or 87 episodes, 86 or 87 hours, and 340, um, 448 chapters so far we've read. And so we are in the last chapter of Mark's Gospel which is a short chapter, that's good. Okay, so Mark chapter 16. When the Sabbath was over, 
Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise. They were on their way to the tomb. And they asked each other, Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. And that's how it ends. Eight verses. Not bad, right? Oh, this is, must, this is the shortest chapter we've read so far. <laughs> so good. And it all concentrates on these women. From beginning to end, no other character is just these women going to anoint Jesus' body, verse 1. They brought spices. And they had to wait until the Sabbath was over for them to be able to do this kind of like this work of honoring Jesus' body with the spices. But they go there. As they're going there, they're wondering, you know, how are we going to get to Jesus' body? Because if you remember in yesterday's chapter, there was a huge stone covering the entrance to the cave. Uh, so very early in the morning, in the first day of the week, just before sunrise, they ask each other, who will roll the stone away? But when they looked up, verse 4, they saw the stone, and it says that which was very large, meaning they couldn't have done this on their own, it's, it's already been rolled away. And they went in and they saw this young man dressed in a white robe, this angel. And they were scared. You know, ES, uh, is this ESV or NIV? I think this is NIV. NIV. Uh, it says um, they were alarmed. They were, <laughs> they were freaked out. Yeah, that, that's what happened. And verse 6, don't freak out. He said, you're looking for Jesus of Nazarene uh, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. And then he says, see the place where they laid him. Uh, see this empty space. It's, the body should be here. They were meant to anoint this body. It's, it's not there. It's empty. And he says, now go, but go. Tell his disciples and Peter he is going ahead of you into Galilee, back home to his hometown. There you will see him just as he told you. All this was predicted by Jesus. You know, again and again and again, the Son of Man must be betrayed, handed into the hands of Gentiles. You must be, he must be crucified, and finally he must rise again. And then he says, I'll see you in, in Galilee. Um, let me see, where did he, I think he, he said this in Gethsemane. Yeah, yeah, just before that. Yeah, and this is chapter, uh, what chapter is this? Chapter 14. Uh, verse 28, but after I risen, I'll go ahead of you into Galilee. So it means that everything that Jesus predicted, including his death, you know, Jesus said that would happen, but also including his being ri his rising again from the dead, he predicted that as well. So it says, just as he said, go there, I'll meet you there. And he's like made this calendar appointment, in other words, you know, let's keep this appointment. But their response, verse 8, trembling and bewildered, Oh, that's a good replacement for this. Shaking 
and just confused. <laughs> In normal English,、um, the women went out and fled and ran away from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid, and that's how it ends. The last words of Mark's gospel, after this tremendous, you know, beginning, Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. After that tremendous ending in chapter fifteen, He surely is the Son of God. These women who run away confused, and they are too scared to say anything to anyone. <laughs> and that's how it ends. I know that some versions have additional things about them actually encountering Jesus and doing. Amazing signs and miracles. Verse eighteen: They will pick up snakes with their hands, drink deadly poison. It will not hurt them. But this is probably not part of the original, and that's because I think Mark intentionally wants to end in this very unsuspecting way. Is that drama Hong Kong drama ending? Is the dun dun dun, you know, and then next season continuation, <laughs> that kind of thing, you know, to keep you in suspense, to keep you going, what? You know they should be telling people they just found out that Jesus rose from the dead, but they had doubts. They were afraid of you know what they did not expect to see, but also what they saw. They saw this angel, and what they thought they couldn't do, they couldn't roll away the stone, but it was already done for them. And also just the implications of Jesus' words. He said that he would die. He would be he would be killed. And at the end of chapter fifteen, we see there. You know, they saw all of this. Verse forty-seven: Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, they saw everything. They saw the place that he was laid. In the end of chapter fifteen, they saw his body there. But then now, here in chapter sixteen, they looked there and they saw nothing. So they were witnesses before, and they were witnesses after, and it just—they were just processing, and they were confused, and that caused them to keep their mouths shut. And that's the thing.、Uh, the question that Mark is asking: Will you keep your mouths shut? You know, is there something that you're finding confusing that you're not quite sure about, especially when it comes to God's word? Because it's all talking about how Jesus predicted everything that happened. Do you believe what He said? In other words, and if you do, will you speak it to others? That's almost the whole summary of the chapter. You know, will you be? As afraid, as confused, as these women, or will you trust that everything Jesus said is true? And obviously, they did, and we know that from the other gospels, and we know that because, well, otherwise we wouldn't be Christians. We wouldn't have this witness of the New Testament.、Uh, but I think there's this honesty there that all of us come initially from that point of doubt and confusion. And hesitation. We don't want. We don't want to believe this. We don't want to do what this Bible, this Word of God, is telling us to do. And will we remain in this state? I guess that's just the challenge of Mark chapter sixteen. Hello, hi, where? Hello. If you're just joining us, this is the Daily Bible Reading Show. I'm just testing stuff out on Instagram. Normally, I there's another stream going on on my usual channels on YouTube,、um, but yeah. Just trying stuff out for today. Okay, so that was our second reading. We've looked at Genesis forty-six and Mark sixteen so far. Nice and short today. Ah,、oh, perfect for a Saturday. And let's move on to Job chapter twelve. One good thing about you know reading a Bible plan is that you know who would think of reading Job chapter twelve on February the thirteenth on a Saturday morning. <laughs> But there you go. You know, if you keep on with the plan, it'll take you to places, new places, see new things, and that's always exciting. 
Um, cool. So this is Job chapter 12. Man, I just need some water. All right. Okay, Job chapter 12. Then Job replied, Doubtless, you are the only people who matter, and wisdom will die with you. But I have a mind as well as you. I'm not inferior to you who does not know all these things. So he's replying to so far, you know, and, and also to all three of his companions who are claiming that, you know, listen to us, you know, we, we are wise. And he says, you know, doubtless wisdom will die with you. When you die, no one else will be as wise as you guys. He's, he's being uh, ironic and, you know, you think you're hot stuff. That's the kind of thing he's saying. But he also says, verse 3, I have a mind as well as you. I also have a brain. <laughs> it reminds me of Bua Chukang, uh, who would say, use your brain, use your brain. You know, he said, each, all of us have a mind. You know, it's not just you who are the smart people in the world. Um, maybe this is the kind of verse, uh, you can, <laughs> I'm not sure you should say this to your Bible study leader, but if someone's trying to be a smart aleck, trying to say that, you know, only I know the answers to life, to the Bible, to theology or whatever, they, they're just being too big for their britches uh, and they're, 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 they're just being too full of themselves. You know, you can say, you know, I'm not inferior to you who does not know all these things. Yeah. Verse 4, I have become a laughing stock to my friends, though I called on God and he answered, a mere laughing stock, though righteous and blameless. Those who are at ease have contempt for misfortune, as the fate of those feet of whose feet are slipping, the tents of marauders are undisturbed, and those who provoke God are secure, those whom God has in hand. So that's very biting. Verse 4, I have become a laughing stock to my friends, you know, his friends, his friends who are there who, who say, I've come here to comfort you, to be with you in your time of mourning. You imagine that happening at a wake, you know, at a funeral, your friends come and then they start laughing at you, say, ah, oh, you're so charm. And how, how sad that is, you know, um, and he says, you know, I called on God and, you know, and he answered, but a mere laughing stock though righteous and blameless, you know, they laugh at me even though I protest that I'm innocent, I don't deserve the suffering. And maybe because I'm saying I don't deserve the suffering. I said, you know, I, 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 this is too much. You know, I, I can't bear going through this. And the more he says that, the more they mock him. And he says uh, there, uh, what does he say about the, um, those who are at ease have content for, Contempt for misfortune. Um, the tents of marauders are undisturbed. I mean, evil people, you know, their houses, their tents, you know, not, you know, their water supplies are interrupted. You know, they're just living life every day. You know, day by day, you know, they, they're having the good life. I'm the guy who's innocent and is trying to do God's will. I'm the one who's being punished. You know, there is this imbalance. He's saying, why don't you see that? Verse 7, but ask the animals and they will teach you or the birds in the sky and they will tell you or speak to the earth and it will teach you, you know, just look around you or let the fish in the sea inform you. That would be quite funny if the fish started teaching these wise men. Which of all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? In his hand is the life of every creature and the breath of all mankind. 
does not the ear test words as the tongue tastes food? Is not wisdom found among the aged? Does not long life bring understanding? And I think again when he says that the hand of the Lord has done this, meaning the this suffering, the situation I'm in, God has done this, and therefore it explains that the friends think if you receive good that comes from God, you know if it you receive evil, you know if there's something bad that happens in your life, choi 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 choi. It's a very Chinese thing we are thinking, right? Oh no, God couldn't have given you this, or you know God is punishing you because you've done something wrong, or that's from the devil. But here is this middle ground where Job is saying, you know, here is this evil, and actually God being sovereign over good and evil. Therefore, God has done this as well. And he's saying, everyone can see this. This is the way that life works. God gives us the good and the bad, and therefore we come to God when we pray, not just in thanksgiving for the good. We should do that. Don't forget to do that. But also maybe with those questions for evil,、uh, questions about those confusing questions about why is there evil in the world? Why is this happening to me? Maybe even, and not just to bring them to some forum, you know, to,、uh, to ask some smart guy to show that you're smarter than that guy, or for that guy to give you. But you know, maybe to pray that before God. God, why is this happening? How can I reconcile this with the knowledge that you are God, you're good, you're in control? Verse thirteen. To God belong wisdom and power, counsel and understanding are His. What He tears down cannot be rebuilt. Those He imprisons cannot be released. If He holds back the waters, there is drought. If He lets them loose, they devastate the land. To Him belong strength and insight. Both deceived and deceiver are His. He leads rulers away stripped, and makes fools of judges. He takes off the shackles put on by kings and ties a loincloth round their waist. He leads priests away, stripped and overthrows officials long established. He silences the lips of trusted advisers and takes away the discernment of elders. He pours contempt on nobles and disarms the mighty. He reveals the deep things of darkness and brings utter darkness into the light. Light, sorry. He makes nations great and destroys them. He enlarges nations and disperses them. He deprives the leaders of the earth of their reason. He makes them wander in a trackless waste. They grope in darkness with no light. He makes them stagger like drunkards. Yeah. So this is God opposing the wisdom of the wise, of the powerful. You know, He's humbling all these kings, officials. Judges, he makes them into fools. Verse seventeen makes fools of judges, and again kings and advisers. Verse,、um, verse twenty nobles. Verse twenty-one, all of them he disarms, he humbles, he breaks down. Because verse thirteen, to God belong wisdom and power. Only He has this position of power and wisdom that kind of thrashes all His. Opponents and leaves them. Verse twenty-five. They grow in darkness, no light. He makes them stagger like drunk drunkards. And so again, he's speaking to people who are claiming to be wise. Listen to me. I'll I'll tell you this advice, and you are wrong. And he says, you know, maybe you're not the only ones who have this wisdom. In fact, you know, maybe I have some wisdom as well. Second part, he talks about the world. He's saying, you know, you have ignored what everyone else in the world knows. You claim you're so wise, and yet you don't understand what everyone else is speaking to you, even the fish in the sea. 
that God, you know, God is God over all things, the good and the bad. And finally, he speaks to everyone. Kind of sets themselves up as this authority, kings and priests and nobles, and themselves as these wise men because they have all this prosperity and all this aged wisdom that they've learned through life. You know, God humbles everyone. He has humbled me. He's humbled all these kings, friends. Hasn't there been a time when he has humbled you? And that's the question at the last section. You know, God, who belongs all this wisdom, he humbles the wise in their eyes. Yeah. Okay. So that's Job chapter twelve. Yeah. Cool. Final passage, Romans chapter sixteen. Ah,、uh, you know, I enjoy.、Uh, I'm I'm enjoying this a lot more than. The usual setup of having like the screen and the complicated stuff. This is this is just so much easier to look at.、Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Nice, nice to have variety, different ways to read God's word and different ways to process it and share it.、Um, where is Romans? I'm looking for Romans. Acts. That's right. It's after Acts, not before. So embarrassing. Okay, Romans chapter sixteen, and this is the last. Chapter Romans with lots of names. Greet, greet, greet. Can you see that? You know, greet, greet, greet. You know, just long list of names there. Yeah. So、uh, let me read this ending. It looks like the credits at the end of a movie. You know, do, 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 greet this, all the names of the producer and the art director and the, all the matai, all the kalefe actors in that movie.、Uh, but it is scripture, and I am sure. I am sure there there are lots of stuff. To be gained from reading this passage. In fact, I have a friend. I think I think my friend who did his PhD on Romans. I think, if I'm not mistaken, if you're watching this,、um, I hope you don't. <laughs> It's gonna be so embarrassing. You did a PhD on this, and I'm just like looking at it on the surface. So many things I'm probably saying is wrong. But I think he did PhD just on this chapter of credits. All these people. So he must know them very, very.、Um, uh, he must know them very, very well. He must have studied them. Yeah. I mean, of all the chapters, this chapter. How interesting! So, here is the last chapter of Romans chapter sixteen. Let's see what it has to say. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Chancheria. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of His people, and to give her any help she may need from you. For she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard. For you, greet Andronicus, Andronicus, and Junia, my fellow Jews, who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Amplius, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachius. Greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. 
Greet those in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Auntie Rufus, mother. <laughs> Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobas, Hermas, and the other brothers and sisters with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the Lord's people who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ sent greetings. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you've learned. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you, Timothy. Our co-worker sends his greetings to you, as do Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater, my fellow Jews. I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greets you in the Lord. Oh, he, he, this bit is written. You know, he says it's for me. I'm Tertius. I'm writing this bit to you. Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, sends you his greetings. Erastus, who's the city's director of public works, and our brother Quartus sends you their greetings. Now, to him who's able to establish you in accordance with my gospel. The message I proclaim about Jesus Christ, in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of our eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith, to the only wise God, be glory for ever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Wonderful. This is this is great. I mean, imagine, you know, writing to a bunch of people and writing on behalf of another bunch of people. You know, Paul had friends. Paul had partners in the gospel, and what a support they were! So encouraging. I mean, really, really wonderful. And I, I really mean that. You know, I'm thinking of my own friends, people who have journeyed with me, who struggle with me, who you know. Over the last few days, and I'm thinking of those messages sent to me. One, one in particular, I I was so encouraged by. He said, you know, um, I know how much work goes into these like readings. You know, thank you for the for that. And this is from someone who I know is working even harder than me. You know, someone I truly respect, someone I truly love, someone I truly thank God for, for his ministry. And you know, I I was thinking, well, I'm so so humbled by that. You know, I, I think I think you are doing so much more, and um, just knowing that there's this strive, this togetherness. You know that that we're not alone. That's the same work that we're all doing for the glory of Christ. It just spurs us to carry on. And I think that's what Paul is doing.、He、says on this side of the fence, you know, lots of people are working hard for the gospel, 
And on your side, I see that happening as well. We're in this together. Let's look at these names. So the first half of this page, this long list of names, and then we'll look at the second half, which talks about, you know, this obedience of faith. I find that repeated again and again. That's really interesting. But first, this list of names, and we begin with Phoebe, this deacon of the church in Centuria. He says, I commend this sister who is a deacon and i have here in my footnotes deacon can mean uh diacon uh he can mean deacon 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 as a position as a deacon as a deaconess or it can also mean servant of the church so it could be official position or just someone who really really has been outstanding in their help in this church either way this one person he commends her say please receive her in the lord worthy of his people you know um you know this you know, please welcome her, treat her with honor. And it might be that Phoebe is the one who brings this letter of the Romans to them. Really great. And he says, give her any help she may need from you. She's been a benefactor to many people, not just me, but including me. But here's someone who is generous, who's doing this particular service of bringing this letter, who's been a particular help to this church. And Paul says, you know, please, would you show extra love, extra honor to someone like her? And the reason I mentioned Phoebe is also because of these other names that are in this list. Notice that lots of women are thanked and acknowledged in this, in this list. So the second names there, verse 3, Priscilla and Aquila, this husband and wife. But Priscilla, you know, uh, is, is the wife. And he puts the wife's name first. My fellow workers in Christ Jesus, they risk their lives for me, not only I, but for all the churches in the Gentiles, they are grateful to them. And then if you go down to verse 7, Andronicus and Junia, I think, I think, um, I think Junia uh, might be a, a lady's name. Yeah, Andronicus, I'm not sure, maybe, maybe that as well. But they're outstanding among the apostles or the messengers that were in Christ before I was. That's great. You know, uh, they're all fulfilling this ministry in the gospel. And really, you can miss it. Definitely, verse 12 is talking about two women, Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. And when even he talks about Rufus, verse 13, chosen in the Lord, he's like his mom as well, who's <laughs> been a mom to me. And I've always wondered, because we just read about Rufus, a few a few days ago, if you, I think if we go back to Mark's gospel and we met there the guy who had to carry Jesus's cross. You remember they told us this guy from Cyrene, his name was Simon, and I think this is at the end of Mark's gospel. Is it fifteen or something? Maybe fifteen or fourteen. Um, well, this is where you know if you go go to Bible Gateway, just type in fifteen, and then you're able to. Uh, find, oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. I just wanted to wave to, to, to a friend who just joined. Hello. Thank you for joining me. I'm just reading the Bible. Mark chapter 15, uh, death of Jesus. They crucified him. Uh, yeah, verse 21, a certain man from Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus, he was passing by, and they forced this guy named Simon to carry Jesus' cross. And here I do wonder that this Rufus in verse 13 is the same Rufus in Mark chapter 15 whose dad carried Jesus' cross. And it could be because then, you know, his mom also, you know, was a servant of in the gospel. And so together, and again, uh, uh, verse 15, Nereus and his sister, 
unmistakably, verse 6 as well, greet Mary who worked very hard for you. There's this mix of all these men, but also all these women and very prominent women who are leading, who are leaders, who are encouragers, who are supporters of this ministry, of this mission of church planting amongst the Gentiles, highlighted in this list. And I think at the very least, it's worth saying that, you know, if you want to thank people, thank all of them. Don't just thank the higher-ups or the people who are the guys. Because I think um, that's that's maybe only halfway encouraging. <laughs> You know, um, anyone who's ever done any bit of mission knows this. If it weren't for women in the 20th century, there would be no mission. All the men, uh, unfortunately, um, and maybe with right reason, are filling all those official positions, pastors, bishops, and you know, directors, whatever have you. But the people who actually went out into the world and actually did a lot of this hard things of actually crossing cultures and going as singles into the world. I can think of so many of my friends who are women who are single, who are missionaries, who are doing things that the guys would go, oh, maybe if I had a job instead in a church, maybe if I had an apprenticeship, you know, then I'll go into ministry. But all these women who are going into the unknown, single, and sometimes to very dangerous situations in dangerous countries, bringing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And oftentimes you don't know about them until they've spent their whole lives in these countries. They come back, you know, as elderly women and they tell you, hey, I spent the last 20 years, 30 years, 40 years of my life teaching in this particular small village that you've never heard about before. I, I actually sat next to this row of women who did that in church once. And I was thinking, wow, you know, uh, if it's not that you don't know of any men who did this, but, you know, they are the people who then come back and they become like bishops and they write books and they become pastors, that kind of thing. But these women do this so selflessly and no one acknowledges that. And I think we should. We should acknowledge that. And also because, you know, you don't want to have the ministry of the gospel. You want to encourage it. And, you know, even for those who say that, you know, um, that women should only occupy certain roles. And I, I must admit, to some extent, I am, I am complementarian. You know, I, I am, I do think that there are suitable roles and encouraging roles that the Bible encourages us to pursue and to minister to one another and to really display, you know, that, that kind of complementary, you know, partnership in Christ and through our genders and through our, through our, through, through our persons and how God has made us. I do believe in that. But even so, I do wonder if it's clear enough if it's encouraging enough, you know, how we are meant to work together and how we are meant to fulfill those functions and those roles and those ways of ministry within the church. And I think here Paul does that. And I wonder if that could be done more. And again, just to say again to the guys, you know, too many guys who are, who are gifted, who are passionate, are looking for that position in order to say, then I'll do ministry. Then I'll do God's will. Then I'll step out. Because it's almost like a security blanket. You know, if I get that place in college, if I get that position in that church, then yes, you know, I'll leave my job. Then I'll leave this country. Yes, I'll do. And, you know, I think these women put us to shame. <laughs> Not just because of what they do, but, you know, how they're willing to do this, you know, without the fanfare, without that kind of assurance, and without that guarantee that you'll gain some kind of prominence in the process. Really, really convicting. Yeah. Hmm, cool. Okay, so that's this list that we looked at. A combination of men and women and as 
and maybe an extra prominence given to these women who are extra encouraging and supportive of Paul's ministry. It's just so obvious when you look at this list. And then in the second section from verse 17 onwards, he begins with a warning. Verse 17, I urge you to watch out for those who cause divisions. And the way in which they cause divisions is that they teach something that's contrary to what you have already learned. So they bring in something that's different, but also that's something that's new. You already learned this, but hey, you know, here's something that's new and you find that all these new things are causing splits in the church. And so there's a character to this false teachers and there's a content to this false teacher. There's a character that hey, it's always something new, something different that you don't know, I'm going to teach you. But also there's this content. It's something different from what you already know that you've already been obeying and if you really learn in the gospel. Keep away from them, Paul says. Such people are not serving the Lord Christ, but their own appetites. You know, meaning, you know, they're almost passionate about this, but passionate in a way that is self-serving. You know, somehow it doesn't seem to build anyone up, but it seems to make them look good. It doesn't seem to serve Christ. It doesn't seem to serve his church. But it seems to do a lot. Of, they seem to advance a lot through the more that they speak, the more that they do. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. And then he contrasts that with their obedience. He, he doesn't say they are naive and you are smart. No, he says they are naive, but you are obedient. The way in which you know that someone knows the Bible is that they do the Bible. They live out the Bible. Verse 19, everyone who has heard about your obedience and so I rejoice because of you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. There are some things that are just not worth knowing about. <laughs> you know, there, it, it's, it's, yes, the good things, you know, pursue them and know them and live them out. But some things that are evil, not worth even knowing, much less even doing, be innocent about that. And then verse 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And this is a fulfillment of the proto-gospel, the proto-evangelion, where God says of the woman, your seed will crush the head of the serpent. This is Genesis chapter 3. And uh, where, where, da, da, da. oh, well, this is chapter 4. Let's see. Um, da, da, da. He will crush your head and you will strike his head heal. Um, yeah, so this is the pronouncement that God pronounces, sorry, on the serpent. You know, it says the, the, the seed of the woman, you know, there will be a war between your offspring and hers, verse 15, and then he, this particular seed, this individual will crush your head, Satan. So he promises that one day this judgment, this death will come upon you on this evil one. But he says here in verse 20 that this crusher, serpent crusher, it's this church. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And so that's amazing that the fulfillment of the destruction of evil will come through God's people. Because such is uh, Christ's dwelling through them and such is Christ has already accomplished this, this, this battle and this victory th through the cross that now as they live out the cross, as they obey the gospel, they're crushing Satan through their obedience and through their lives in testimony of Jesus' victory. And it ends as well with this obedience. Um, uh, verse 25, Now to him, 
who's able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, you know, this message about Jesus Christ, this mystery hidden for long ages before, this secret that's now been revealed in Christ. Verse 26, made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God so that the Gentiles might come to obedience that comes from faith. And he praises God to the only wise God be glory. And so what happens is the gospel goes out. It was hidden. It goes out. It's not been revealed. And as these outsiders respond to the gospel, they come into the kingdom and say, yes, I will trust in Christ. These people who would not have known Christ, who are not the usual suspects, who did not grow up going to church, did not go to Sunday school, but now they hear the gospel and go, yes, you know, I'll bow my knees before him. And they come into this thing called the obedience that comes from faith. And this is going back to the very, very beginning of Romans, very, very beginning of Romans about the power of of the gospel. And Romans chapter 1 and verse 5, through him we've received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. Same expression. And therefore, the fulfillment of the gospel is seen in the church. That's why he's saying, you know, the beginning of the gospel is this preaching, speaking about Jesus. But the end of the gospel comes when people respond to the gospel, they are gathered together as a church, and they live in obedience to this gospel. There is a gospel end that we see in this book of the Romans, that here is the salvation that has been announced by God, and here is the here, here's the gathering of God's people that responds to the salvation, being saved by God. And so as you do mission, as you send out people, you know, this week, you know, the, the see you, you know, they're, they're speaking the gospel, they're inviting their friends, inviting friends, come to this, come to this, come to this. You kind of ask, so what's the end of that? You know, what's the point of doing all this? What's the point of having these events, inviting your friends? The end is actually the church that they come into this obedience of faith as they gather together as a testimony of God's salvation as the church, and therefore they crush Satan under their feet. And so, you know, if you want to see an end, you want to see a proper fulfillment of this, it's not just people saying, yes, I'll become Christians, or yes, I'll come to the event, but finally the church growing in this togetherness, this oneness, this understanding of the gospel and therefore living this gospel out as a testimony that this gospel is real, this salvation is real. God has indeed accomplished his plan through Jesus Christ in saving all these Gentiles, saving all these losers, all these idiots, all these outsiders, yes, even Cambridge University students, because he gathered them by his salvation through his son, and now they're living for him and for him alone. So that's Romans chapter 16. You know, tremendous end to the gospel, encouraging people in ministry, all you know, all people, all genders, all walks of life, all living sacrificially and generously for the gospel, and finally seeing this end that comes in the church gathered around the gospel, speaking God's word, gathering around God's word. So, yep, this is the end of our four readings for today, our chill edition. You know, hope this was encouraging for you. Let me end with a prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you bring us towards this amazing, glorious end. You help us to see where all this is headed towards. That when Jesus comes and he returns as judge and our Savior as God, we gather around him, we gather around his word, and we display this glory and this worth of the gospel. Help us to do this even now. 
as we gather together in word, we gather together as your people, especially tomorrow as you gather together as your church to display this obedience that comes from this faith, to display the worth of this salvation that comes from trusting in the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Take care and God bless. Have a good weekend.